Jurassic Park game like it was going out of style. The art, the uh, Zoo Tycoon one? Mm-hmm. I mean, just, I figured out the perfect way to do it. <laughs> you start off in the enclosures. You build a little square, right? Yeah. A little square of fences, and you mm. put a gate on each side of it. And then you build the pens are out from that little square. Mm. That way, you can breed your carnivores in one, <laughs> and your triceratops and shit herbivores in the other. And then you open the gate, and you have them fight each other, and the people fucking love it. Your your star rating goes you, through the roof. You are having illegal dinosaur fights. That's right. In fact, I got a mission for it from my <laughs> entertainment director. He told me to allow three velociraptors to kill a ceratosaurus, which is like a bitch version of a T-Rex. And I did it. I so, handicapped the, the ceratosaurus by tranquilizing it, moved it into the combat arena, unleashed the raptors, and they ate the fuck out of them. So, okay, I just saw that on the Gamescom trailer. Did that come out, like, immediately? What? So, okay, they had Gamescom, whatever, yeah, play the all the trailers. Mm -hmm. They had the trailer for that game. Really? That Jurassic, Jurassic Park game. Has World? it been out for a while? Yeah, since, like, 2018. Huh. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's a newer one? Probably a new update to go with that new movie that's going to be coming out. Okay, I still need to watch. Is it Jurassic kingdom or world which one came first the first part the first chris pratt one was called jurassic world okay what's the second chris pratt one jurassic world extinction is that what it's called i don't know i don't know i've only seen the first i just saw the first chris pratt pratt one this week i can't remember if i talked about it in last week's podcast or not mm -mm. but i finally saw number three with bill macy and the first chris pratt and now i'm debating on whether i want to spend the 399 to rent the second Chris Pratt. I don't know if it's worth a rent. That's the problem. But I don't know when it. it's going to be on free streaming services, and I'm kind of on a Jurassic <laughs> Jurassic kick right now. Well, what about Lance's secret vault of video entertainment? Vance, not Lance. I, I said don't... Vance, and I... Lance's... 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 Did you? I don't know. I think so. Anyway. Play Lance a lot. <laughs> uh, Cody, tell me the video game that you've been playing. Ooh, uh, we talked about this. Alien Isolation. Oh, you bought it? Yes, I did buy it. It was like dirt cheap, so I bought it. And, uh, man, that game is... so. It, did it take you to Spook Central? It It's spookier because... It's spookier, I would say, than Resident Evil 7 because you can't really kill anything. Right. And I know when we were talking to Manny, I said I didn't like stealth games that much, but it's kind of a... That, that game sweet, is a stealth game. But it's a sweet middle ground. Okay. Where the where you can kill them, kind of. Uh, not really the alien. But I I was playing... It, you know, it gives you all the difficulties, and then it said hard. It's like, this is what we recommend you play it on. Mm. So I'm like, usually when they say that's like a good middle ground... I kind of regret it at this point. <laughs> I got to the the mission, and I have to get this key card. Right. And the fucking alien, wherever you go, he just comes in there, and he, he'll just kind of, like, randomly walk around. Right. And if you hang out in one spot for too long, he just, like, instantly finds you. You can't do nothing. He kills you instantly, by the way. So it's like a slender, slender man. Yeah. Yeah. He killed me a good 15 times before I finally got through that level. That sounds awful. That really, <laughs> really sounds scary and really bad, Cody. It's funny because it's not like dark scary. It's just like 
you you can't walk really fast, but you'll walk and you'll hear like the alien climbing in the vents, and then all of a sudden like a light will explode or something, and it's just like Jesus, okay, right? Because yeah. it's still a pretty well lit game, right? Isn't it? Oh, yeah. Not too dark. The no. ship's a pretty active ship. It, it's pretty well lit. Like when you go through the vents, it's right. dark or whatever. But like, man, they. I will give them credit. If you like the Alien movies, the Which fucking game is like makes you feel like you're in the movie because they have like the shitty <laughs> 1980s computer screens everywhere. Awesome. And like all the equipment looks like it came out of the 1980s. Awesome. It's great. I don't know when Ripley had time to have a child because you're playing her daughter, right? Right. And it's like I it is kind of cool because Sigourney Weaver has a very distinct face, mm-hmm. and their daughter, somehow they're like, they took her, changed it slightly, made her younger, and then just put it on the character. Maybe it's her real daughter, I don't know. I'll tell you, young loved. Sigourney Weaver in Alien 1 was so beautiful. I really do her, think she Her was hair good. is a bit much for me. Yeah, but I liked April O'Neil's hair, too, <laughs> from Ninja Turtles. So. Okay, alright. Big hair didn't bother me. Blanche right. Devereaux, I'm a big fan. From Golden Girls, big fan. All right. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about this week? It's me. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me is Cody. Hello. Hello, Adam. We heard about your week. Your yes. alien isolated week. I would recommend it to anybody. That is a must-buy from Cody, mm. the Game Master. If you like a little... Vangen. little scare. You yeah. like a get a little scared. You know what? I don't. I don't. I don't like that at all. So, Maybe not for Adam. So I appreciate the game review, Cody. I will gladly watch you play it on Twitch if you ever do. That wouldn't bother I, me. I, I, should, I should do that. I don't see why you wouldn't. You give everybody the spooks. Mm. Uh, I say we jump right into this son of a bitch. How do should you say? Should we do it? Yeah, mm-hmm. let's do it. Fade in on a beautiful May morning in Sutter County, California, 1971. Five miles north of Yuba City, Japanese farm owner Goro Kagehiro was touring his land when he noticed a hole about man-sized between two trees. Goro couldn't understand why someone would dig there and assumed someone was trespassing on his property to bury their trash. When he returned later that night to catch the trash bandits in the act, the hole had been filled and his suspicions were all but confirmed. Is this a common crime in Japan, going into a stranger's yard and burying your trash? We are in California. Oh, this is California. That is right. The man I, is Japanese. Japanese. Okay. But All yes, right. it was a common practice. Well, then in California, we know for certain this is a common practice. Definitely. Here's the other thing. Has Goro, as the name went out of fashion? You know how I love those Yakuza games? Mm-hmm. My favorite character in those games is named Goro Majima. But what year is are those games supposed to be transpiring? Present Her? day, is but present? the Yakuza 0, which is the first game... Story-wise, but not the first game that came out, takes place in the 80s during the bubble economy of Japan. Well, I told you all them Godzilla movies, there's always a Goro in it. Always a Goro. And not to mention Goro from Mortal Kombat. What if Jordan would have named Ali Goro? Would have that been appropriate? Goro Fox sounds pretty (laughs) fucking cool. It does. (laughs) Oliver Fox sounds cool too, though. (laughs) The next morning, Goro called the police and a couple deputies started digging. To their surprise, they didn't find trash, but instead the body of a slender white man. Homicide police screeched onto the scene and discovered the man's name was Kenneth Whiteacre. Kenneth had been stabbed in the chest, bashed in the head, and slashed across the face and back of the skull several times with a machete or at least a very large knife. His hands bore deep defensive wounds 
and literature found in his pocket suggests that he was a homosexual. Because he had gay erotica or something? Like gay, like a gay pamphlet for like a gay okay. group that okay. was meeting. Here's the other thing. We always talk about people's last names. Now, White Acre, mm. how does one come to the name? Like, we know what an acre is. What makes it a white acre? I'm not sure. Maybe maybe they were given an allotment of one acre in a snowy place. I just maybe... Was he growing white beans, maybe? Or white ferns? Is that a thing? (laughs) I don't know. White corn? I don't know. Maybe he was growing white people. There isn't too many, like, fruits or vegetables that are white. Maybe it's cauliflower farm. Cauliflower farm. Yeah. Figured it out. Okay. I'm coming with a long line of cauliflower farmers. The White Acres. You know, uh, have you been watching that game over? Uh, Yes. Yeah. Actually, since I bashed it last week, yeah, I've been watching it. Did you get to the point where that guy made Gay Blade? Mm Mm-hmm. That's pretty fucking (laughs) awesome. That was so good. That was so fucking awesome. Dude, that series is great. What if this guy had a copy of Gay Blade in his pocket here? (laughs) That'd be pretty sweet, because that guy was looking for a copy of his video game. In 1971? Yeah, Gay Blade. Mm -hmm. Maybe this guy had a copy of it Mm -hmm. here. Detectives began working under the assumption that this murder was committed by two angry gay men who were trying to pick up a gay prostitute to have a threesome, but when the subject of money came up, they killed him to avoid paying. Since it was the 70s and homosexuals were demonized, detectives decided this was an unsolvable one-off incident, and the only hard evidence they collected were impressions of the tire tracks leading to and away from the grave. Now, is Sutter County... Is that kind of close to, like, the Bay Area? That is located in the Sacramento Valley. Oh, then it's pretty close Mm -hmm. to it. Absolutely. Northern California, here we are. All right. Since Kenneth Whiteacre was just another gay prostitute that got tangled up with the wrong John, medical examiners did a basic surface-level autopsy where it was learned that many of the slashes to the head with the machete were done post-mortem, and then he was handed directly off to the mortician. Okay, I would assume... That sounds like a lot of anger. A lot of anger. Lots of anger. If you're willing to slash at a man's head and skull and face with a machete after they're dead, not to mention leaving those giant defensive wounds in his hands. How do they get machetes so sharp? (sighs) I've always wondered that. Like, you got, you know, a knife's pretty sharp. Mm. A sword's kind of sharp, but a machete's like literally amputating limbs sharp. It's like a giant scalpel somehow <laughs> i don't know they should maybe like imagine uh have you ever heard of kitchen nightmares yeah i think it is what if they had that but it was like surgeon nightmares oh and they had little challenges where they had to use different uh utensils to perform surgeries like they one of the challenges was instead of a scalpel you had to use a machete Oh, to perform like gallbladder surgery? (laughs) Remove your appendix with a. You gotta remove his appendix with a machete. (laughs) And a pair of tongs. It's coming at Food Network, I can feel it. (laughs) Surgeon nightmares. (laughs) Detectives decided after two days to chalk it up to another problem with itinerant workers in Northern California. And all they could say with absolute certainty was that the killer or killers seemed very angry. Four days later, however, on May 24th, This was no longer an isolated incident. On the ranch kitty corner to the one they found Kenneth on, workers driving a tractor sunk into a patch of loose dirt that had been recently turned. Foreman on the job, Ray Duran, checked it out and immediately called the police. This was looking far too similar. Proceeding with caution, deputies dug up the second grave, which turned up yet another male corpse. And once again, this victim was a known drifter 
this time by the name of Charles Fleming. For the rest of the 24th, detectives scoured the remaining peach orchards for graves, but turned up nothing. At sundown, however, a deputy noticed a narrow path leading through a tall weed patch that looked just a little too well-kempt. You know, when you were you were telling the first one where the tractor went into a hole, it reminded me of being back in Iowa, and you accidentally drive into a sinkhole. I can't mm. imagine my old grandpa driving into a sinkhole, and there's a body in there. And I think that's exactly what happened here. <laughs> like, it's not that uncommon of an occurrence, right? Sinkholes on the mm, farm? No, absolutely not. Just loose dirt that's not packed down, right? Don't, I'm going to say this, don't do what my grandpa did to fill them and just dump old appliances in them. Oh, you that's shouldn't put he, your unused no, refrigerator yeah, in there? That's what he did. That's how he <laughs> solved sinkhole problems, dumping old appliances or maybe even cars sometimes. Drive it on in, in there. there. Yeah, it'll plug it. It'll plug the hole. Don't worry. Oh my gosh! I was just a series of caves that's gonna collapse at one day, at one point. That's, that's like my when, theory. That's like when Frank cut his toe, cutting his toenails with his toe knife, and they have to <laughs> plug the wound with trash. <laughs> okay. Hey, whatever works. Following the path, it led to a beautiful riverbank, and investigators noticed the same soil disruptions they had seen in the orchards. Getting out the shovels, the first thing uncovered were some receipts for meat from the Yuba City Market, dated four days earlier and signed with the name Juan V. Corona. What kind of meat? Steaks mm, and hamburger. That sounds good right now, actually. A few feet down, another corpse. Like the other two, this man was a drifter and had been bludgeoned in the head, crushing his skull, and slashed all around the head and neck with a machete. Sutter County Sheriff Roy Whitaker, you see White Acre, Whitaker... It's weird, isn't it? It is very weird. Maybe this is like an off-branch of the same last name. I think it is. They wanted to class it up, so they called themselves Whitaker. The Whitakers. <laughs> and his head spinning like Linda Blair's in The Exorcist, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> All right, Sheriff. Settle Calm down. down. Can, we get, can we get back on the case here? <laughs> get your head on straight, man. Can you put your head back on? He's like the bad guy from uh, He-Man. The two-face head yeah. and keeps spinning around. <laughs> I can't remember his name, but he I had his toy. <laughs> the meat receipt signer, 37-year-old labor contractor, Juan Corona, was already on the sheriff's radar. According to a story Sheriff Roy had heard from across the Feather River in Marysville, Corona was the key suspect in the beating of a man in a local cafe. The victim, Jose Raya, was found in the bathroom with blood pouring out of his head. Okay, well... Not the best place to beat somebody up, I guess, here. Corona was the likely suspect, as he had a history of vocally hating homosexuals, and his half-brother, the owner of the cafe, Natividad Corona, was a homosexual. Not only did Juan hate his half-bro for being gay, he also hated Natividad for having him committed to a mental asylum back in the 50s. Wow, okay. Is this guy just... Isn't Natividad, like, I mean, Christmas? I thought Felice oh, Natividad. Uh, no, it's Navidad. <laughs> Christmas Corona. Well, I mean, technically, that's probably what the USA is going to have this year. But, a, a Corona uh, Christmas? Yeah, a Corona Christmas. Oh, a hey, social distance Christmas. Look, I guess maybe for some people, you don't have to invite your relatives over. Might not be the worst thing ever. Actually, yeah. I, right. To be honest, I like the more intimate, close family get-togethers versus everybody sometimes sometimes the giant ones it just ends mm. up with people it's like you're obviously not acting like you would <laughs> you are no. at, you're putting on a mask here in this giant family gathering you know uncle pete 
I know you're never sober. I don't know why you're sweating profusely and not having a drink right now. Yeah. You're shit you're you're <laughs> spilling your sausages all over your lap. You're shaking so hard. That area by the riverbank through the weeds became known as Graveyard Lane. And at this point, if you've seen the wire, is where they find all the bodies Chris and Snoop boarded up in the vacants. Mm. More and more graves kept popping up. And weirdly, multiple had meat receipts with Juan Corona's name on them. I guess Juan really likes his meat. (laughs) I guess he would buy steaks and burgers for uh, all of his employees. Okay. He would grill out quite often. In 1934, Juan Vallejo Corona was brought into this world as one of ten children from his father and his current wife. His dad also had three other kids with a former wife, and it was believed he was physically, mentally, and sexually abusive to all of his children. When Juan Corona was 10, his half-brother and TV dad left Mexico for California due to the draft taking all the cheap American laborers off to war. This left a huge hole for Mexican workers to pick up the slack. Interesting. I did not even know that happened. Interesting. And that's where we get heroes like uh, uh, Cesar Chavez and stuff. You know what? I I always wondered what like it looked like in the United States, like everybody's uh, in Europe fighting or whatever. Like, Is it just kind of like... You wander around kind of like a ghost town everywhere? I, I kind think of so. always wondered, like, what it looked like, you know? I mean, women had to take up all mm. the traditionally male jobs, so mm. I, I don't know. I guess it was a target-rich environment if you were <laughs> if you were not at war, but then they probably saw you as a pussy. I was going to say, yeah, they probably thought you were a loser for yeah. not helping out the country fighting the Nazis. Yeah, you're mm. damned if you do, damned if you mm. don't. Mm-hmm. As soon as Juan Corona turned 16, he followed his brother and illegally slipped into the country farming carrots and melons in the Imperial Valley right on the border until the season change pushed the migrant workers up to the Sacramento Valley. Three years later, the two brothers would reunite in Yuba City, and Juan would immediately get married to his first wife at the behest of her parents. It was a turbulent three months that ended in bitter, hateful divorce. In late December 1955, a flood on the Feather River broke a levee and flooded much of the Sacramento Valley, including Yuba City. The flood claimed 40 lives, most of them undocumented Mexican laborers who were called upon to fix the levee. Jesus, okay, that's a hell of a flood for uh, California here, isn't it? Well, this event was Juan's first documented case of a mental breakdown. Hmm. He started to believe the entire world had been washed away in the flood, and all the people were replaced by ghosts. It got so bad that Natividad was forced to have his brother committed, and this is when he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Gotcha, okay. What was the treatment at the time, you may ask me? Well, you already guessed it. Electroshock therapy. It's outdated, but they still use it today, right? I guess it works. On rare occasions. I mean, you're basically treating your brain like it's a car. You're just re-jump-starting it. Or like you're an Xbox 360, and you wrap it in a towel, and you try and re-solder the piece that makes it red ring. This just reminded me of what you just said here. Could this actually be the real story of Noah? Hmm. There was just a big flood. Hmm. He assumed the whole world was flooded. A levee broke, a couple of his friends washed away, and he assumed... It's possible. Definitely. I mean, we saw what happened to Juan. (laughs) Yeah. After 23 treatments in three months, all without anesthesia, 
Mm. Juan Corona was declared recovered and released right into the custody of immigration, who deported him directly back to Mexico. I mean, he 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 sounds cured. Yeah, 23 treatments, (laughs) three months, that's, they're zapping his brain so fucking much. If if you go to the, uh, I can't even remember what the name of the Scientology Museum is right now, but they have the little electric, or the uh, electroshock therapy The IOs or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and they have a fun little button you press. So you can you can turn the dial and see how much it's affecting someone. Oh, they make it kind of fun. Sure, of course. I mean, they want they want <laughs> even, you to give your email address, yeah. even though clearly he was probably not having a good time. Not the best day. No. Later that year, however, he returned to Yuba City with a green card. Farm owners had gotten used to the hardworking, cheap labor after the war, so it wasn't hard, even with his history, to get back in the country. In 1959, Corona would marry a second time to a woman named Gloria Moreno. He would have four daughters with her. And by 1962, Corona was fully established as a trusted labor leader and licensed contractor, providing work crews to harvest for local fruit ranchers, which leads us back to our current predicament here in 1971. So he literally had four kids in four years. Well, yep, four years. Holy shit. He was not wasting any time. They put down roots, that's for sure. I mean, (laughs) sheesh. By the time she was healed, he was putting another one back in there. I mean, and you get to be called a fruit rancher. True. Do you think you have to fix fences as much as if you're a fruit rancher? I don't know if the trees are busting through fences too much, <laughs> like cows are. Can you imagine just like a herd of strawberries taking out a fence? That'd be so annoying. Strawberries are stampeding against goddamn bastards. <laughs> Sutter County District Attorney Dave Teha came bounding out of a sedan to have a look at the scene. He was salivating a little as he was a fairly new DA and had always wanted to get his hands on a murder one case. Now he had a fucking whopper. Oh, yeah. Taya basically danced up to Sheriff Whitaker and started discussing how soon they could move on an arrest warrant for Juan Corona. The old sheriff wanted more evidence than the few receipts they'd found so far. He figured if this idiot was careless enough to leave signed receipts in sloppy graves, who knows what else might have slipped out of his pockets. I mean, I don't. it's just me, and I feel like the receipts are pretty damning. They're damning. Like... He wants hard evidence. Yeah. I mean, I guess he knows uh, how the court system works, but, man, why else would a receipt with your name on it be in a dead person's pocket? Unless it was put there. I mean, By an outside agent. I mean, mean, we've never gave out a receipt, I don't think, but I can't imagine that being in a dead man's pocket. No. No, I don't (laughs) think so. This became a town effort. Off-duty firemen set up floodlights so the digging could continue through the night. The entire police department showed up to lend a hand, as well as witness this gruesome once-in-a-lifetime spectacle. Sporadic violence was common in the region, as it is almost everywhere, but nothing like this. Some workers became physically ill, and many, many more would be seen bawling their eyes out before this was over. As each new body was discovered, photographed, and documented, it became clear that molestation had occurred in every single one. Men were found with their pants around their ankles, genitals exposed in some way, either through the underwear or with the underwear removed completely. Unlike what the lazy initial investigators thought when they found Kenneth, this simply wasn't a murder for money. These were angry, sexually frustrated, hateful slangs. So wait, you said that Juan hated gay people, right? And yet he's doing this? He's gay. 
what do they call that? Like a, a sexual, what do they call that? Well, a self-hating homosexual. Yeah. But they have a name for it where you like hate what you are. I can't remember what that's called. Self-loathing? It might be. I don't know. Very strange though. Mm-hmm. Very strange. <laughs> so the, he he must almost have like two different personalities. His first wife, like, his first wife left him because he kept like, not only was he a jerk and he would hit her around and stuff. But he would always try and prove when they were in public how much of a macho man he was. To the point of, like, what are you trying to hide here, homeboy? Okay. All right. A lot like Mitch McConnell. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> a lot like that old gross But But, no, it, it's very interesting. I, what was I here? It was some true crime thing I was hearing where basically people who get like this almost have to create two identities the one that is homophobic and then the one that's gay. Sure. And the homophobic one hates the other. It's just, it's insane. It's like a fractured personality. Oh. Absolutely insane. Oh. I'm glad neither of us are like that. Me too. If I was a homosexual, I would straight up. I, 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 I wouldn't be, I would not go to this level. No. no I wouldn't you, be making other personalities. I'd be out there kissing dudes. You just find a cute boy and go to the mall shop and me go and to my, Sparrow. Me and my little twink would be <laughs> hitting the town. See, look, you've already gave a hint. You're into twinks and not bears. Oh, I know that. Or what, what's the other one? Otters? Otters are a mix, right? They're short. And half and half. Short bears, yeah. So they have like bear bottom half and twink up top half like yeah they're Trent. mermaids like Trent. oh we solved it he's got because he's got a, a pear body he's, he's got, got a, a fat ass on him like he's literally the male version of Nicki minaj mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> thick ass Trent. sometimes diggers would accidentally cut off a body part with the sharp edge of a shovel and the deeper the bodies were the more strongly they smelled since they had been interned in the earth so long without a box or embalming fluid they would simply fall to pieces when workers tried to lift them out. Jesus. I, uh, I don't, have you done much shoveling in your life? Uh, just in the odd landscaping business every now and again. I didn't realize, Rick, he, he, sho- he sharpens his shovels. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize he had to do that. I bet he uses a pickaxe, too. Uh, I, I've never seen him. If you want square sides, you need yourself you need a pickaxe. pickaxe? Need okay. it. Okay, all right. Like in the Marcel Pichot series, the crews were forced to reassemble the bodies as best they could on a stretcher before the bags were zipped up and sent off for autopsy. All said and done, at this site alone were eight graves. Counting Kenneth from four days earlier, there were nine victims. Back at the medical examiner's office, the bodies were unzipped and laid out in a lineup, not only to make IDing them easier, but also so they could try and establish a timeline based on decomposition. Morticians determined pretty quickly that this killer or killers had a type. All of the bodies were migrant workers, all murdered by having their heads bludgeoned in, and all of them with machete hacks all over their skulls and faces. I mean, the the exact same murder weapon, I would assume, gives that away. Mm -hmm. God, can you imagine trying to reassemble a human skeleton based off the decomposition of said parts? I don't know how you'd do it. (sighs) Bless your hearts, uh, uh, autopsy people, or medical examiners, sorry. Like a, a rotting meat puzzle. Mm. You know what I learned on uh, Leslie Fear's show? Mm. Uh, she was talking to the mortician mm-hmm. that Jewish people like to Stand get up. Bar- well, that, and they like to get, bar- they keep their blood inside them. Oh. They don't get embalming fluid, some oh. of them. I know they're very standing up. Interesting. Yeah. You know, Japanese people 
if they are buried, are also buried standing up. But that's because they don't have any land. It's an island nation. <laughs> Let's just all get turned to ashes. That's what I say. It's the only way to go. Let's do it. Don't waste space on your fucking rotting corpse. I'm putting you in front of your favorite uh, wing shop. What is it? D-Spot. Put me in front of Taco Bell instead. Taco Bell, yeah. yes. Okay, we'll, we'll do that. Thank you. And, and turn we'll have me a at Taco party. Bell. We'll have a party with only your favorite Taco Bell items. You ready? Here it yeah. is. Two steak quesadillas. Okay. One Crunchwrap Supreme. Okay. One cheesy gordita crunch. Okay. Three cheesy chicken grillers. Okay. Two quesaritos, R.I.P. You're going to have to get them to re- <laughs> remake the quesarito for me. We're going to make them feel real guilty about it. And and the beefy Frito burrito they also took away. Uh, well, here's the thing. We're going to have your funeral with your ashes. Everybody who's there is going to be forced to eat all of that. Yeah. But I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of puking. Yeah, it's nine menu items. (laughs) I'm sweating by the time I'm done with them. So (laughs) good luck. Good luck, normies. Sheriff Whitaker was playing a dangerous waiting game at this point. He was certain it was Corona, but he didn't want to bring charges against him and lose his shot if the evidence was too flimsy. The story was all over Yuba City, and several witnesses came forward and were able to link victims with Corona. I do hate that his name's Corona, (laughs) Because I keep thinking of virus, and I'm the one that wrote this fucking episode. Well, I mean, they're both killers. <laughs> um, so I was just going to say, I bet the sheriff is like, well, the Juan clearly knows they're probably looking at him, right? Yeah, especially because his truck's been spotted. His signature blue and white pickup truck has been spotted all around the place. <sighs> Not good. You don't want the killer to know you're on to him. <sighs> For example... One man that came forward was a rival labor contractor who was talking with one of the victims when Juan Corona drove up in his signature blue and white striped pickup, Mm. offered the man one and a half times what the contractor was offering, and he watched the man get in and ride off. A little suspicious. Other community members came forward and recalled the last time they had seen their friends, relatives, fellow migrant workers was in the company of Juan. With all these statements on record... Even the cautious Sheriff Whitaker thought they had enough to request a warrant for his car, home, and office. This was all circumstantial evidence, of course, but D.A. Teja was certain they could piece together a mosaic so compelling that lack of physical evidence could never be a problem for any jury in the land. Okay, okay, I see what's going on. On the afternoon of May 26th, Juan was taken from his home in front of his wife and four daughters, who were all quite shocked. The Sheriff's strike team entered the home and ripped it up. On the property, they found a number of interesting things, including a post hole digger, hatchet, meat cleaver, even more meat receipts, a ledger with the names of 34 men, a stained wooden club, a van parked out front containing blood stains, a bag of bullets, bundles of clothing, and an 18-inch machete, and also a Chevy Impala with obvious blood stains in it. Not a great look here, Juan. Not a great... I mean, technically, my grandpa might have this stuff in his... Just all that stuff? But he was a farmer, okay, so... And so was Juan Corona. Uh, Yeah, He was a labor contractor working in the peach and plum farms of California. Ah, post hole diggers give my hands nightmares. Oh. I used to to try to be a macho man and... And Just hold them? Well, it would just like slam it in there, open oh. it up repeatedly, dig like a 40 inch hole, 40 <sighs> foot hole in the ground. Uh, and then at the end of the day, your your hands are like sore. Yep. You just b- just mm. ripped up and vibrating. Mm. Great tool, though. It definitely gets it is, the job it, done. It's like kind of fun, 
but then you pay for it later on. Yeah, it is fun to see a little cylinder, like a big cylinder hole of dirt <laughs> come up every time. Do you have a bag of bullets? Is that a common thing? For a twenty-two, yeah. You have a you buy bag them by of the bullets. sack, like a okay. canvas sack. Yeah. Okay, all right. Next up was Corona's office on Sullivan Ranch, where they found a loaded pistol and a long knife on which had been imprinted Tennessee toothpick. <laughs> and they found even more meat receipts. Interesting. Upon examination of the ledger found at his home, they discovered that seven of the nine bodies were listed in it. Even though there were already too many bodies to deal with, deputies actually did some good police work and made certain nothing was overlooked, including hiring an airplane to take infrared photos for several square miles. Wow, I didn't even know they could do that way back then. And they weren't looking for heat signatures from bodies. What they were looking for is recently disturbed soil. That's what would pop up on the infrared. Interesting. I bet they still use that then, huh? I hope so. Hmm. And this was a good idea. The photos showed another graveyard deeper in the woods near a prune orchard. This time, they found 15 bodies. In one of the victim's pockets, they found an actual notarized letter from Juan Corona. <laughs> I mean, if you're a, a letter notary, that's not what you use it for, Juan. <laughs> 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 I will say, I appreciate the notar- notarizing people, but god damn, it's inconvenient sometimes. Oh, I know. I know. It's Unless not, you know someone personally, like trying to hook up with a notary is pretty tough. I'm trying to think. When I had my car accident, I had to have a lot of shit notarized for the insurance company. And it's like, okay, let's find someone who can notarize stuff. And it's like searching fucking everywhere for yeah. them. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can go to UPS and they do it. Oh, they have. Oh, mm-hmm. they're authorized to do. Mm-hmm. Son of a bitch. Don't, Were you like looking at Craigslist and shit trying to find someone? Yeah. Do not. I repeat, try not to ship with UPS if you can help it right now. Okay. Give the business to the USPS? Yes, please do. Please do. We need them in action. I support you, USPS. Mm -hmm. I stand with my postal workers. Mm -hmm. This victim's head was nearly removed from his body from the machete slashes, and his wallet, which was buried right on top of him, had been stripped of cash, but the ID remained inside. So literally every single victim, machete. Mm Mm-hmm. They, they find the same type of wounds on the heads, faces, and necks of every victim they uncover, as well as their genitals being exposed. Oof. Well, I mean, this is a good reason why every hardware store in America shouldn't be selling these for three ninety five. Background checks on machetes. <laughs> yes. Two-week wait period. <laughs> Journalists got a hold of the second graveyard and immediately flooded the area, giving things cutesy nicknames as they are prone to do, including calling his ledger his murder book. As the press ran with and sensationalized the story, it flooded the sheriff's office with calls and letters from concerned family members wondering if perhaps their missing loved one was among the mass graves. Dark tourists also showed up to the Sullivan Ranch to take pictures, posing with shovels in front of Corona's blue and white striped pickup. Investigators worked hard through Memorial Day weekend, and they started digging anywhere and everywhere they thought the ground looked unnatural. Sheriff Whitaker, as well as D.A. Teague, knew they had enough evidence to put Corona away for life, but they wanted to provide closure for as many families as possible at this point. So, um, are you going to go into, like, when the estimated he started killing some of these people? The year, allegedly? Oh, yeah, these were all within not that long of each really? other. Really? Yep. So these, like, rapid succession. Like, six months, I think, was the, was his spree. So, so he almost went into, like, instant berserker. Mm-hmm. Wow, he must, God, this dude must be just pent-up rage. Has to be. Just pent-up rage. Just a broken head and pent-up rage. 
On June 4th, the search for bodies came to a close with the total at 25. Every single one of them were migrant workers, and as if for some sort of ritual, all the victims were buried on the north side of trees with their arms over their heads. None of them were Mexican, and all but three were white. The oldest victim recovered was 68, and the youngest clocked in at 40. Given all of the victims had given up their homes and society when they became migrant workers, identifying them was an arduous process. By the end, all but four were ID'd, and they remain unidentified to this day. Wow. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty good, though. Four out of 25 for migrant workers mm-hmm. who they probably didn't have a lot of records for. That's, I mean, that's pretty, pretty good. Unfortunately, there's four of them they don't. But uh, so this guy, it seems like he doesn't, I mean, he has a type as long as it's a male. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but, but like as far as like race, age and all that, he just kind of whatever's available. Well, white, all mm. white. Mm. None were Mexican. What were the other three? Just they were one black and two Asian. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, interesting. I wonder if he hated white people too. I wonder, or maybe he just wanted. Maybe to, yeah, maybe, maybe he was that's attracted like what, to him. I was just gonna say maybe that's like his preferred mm-hmm. male. He mm-hmm. liked a white twink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Did it say like? Did they have a certain body? Slender. Slender. Mm-hmm. So technically, he which did it, I he, mean, mo- most migrant workers were. You couldn't really get fat or go to seed <laughs> if you're working all the time and you barely have a home. True, very true. Another piece of evidence recovered from a grave were bank slips with Juan's name and signature. Once these were processed as evidence, Sheriff Whitaker, usually the overly cautious one, held a press conference where he was feeling his oats. He charged him in the press, calling him a monster and all other sorts of names before a trial date had even been set. Whitaker said the only thing left for police to find was the kill site. And they were closing in on it any hour now. So uh, so they have the grave site, but they don't know where he's actually killing. Killing him. and raping, correct. Interesting. Sheriff Whitaker made a giant misstep there. Really? That's okay. not. It's not a good idea to charge somebody in the papers. You, you, you want that to happen behind closed doors. Even in 71, 72? It would have been smart for him to keep his <laughs> mouth closed. True. Corona's public defender immediately hired a battery of psychologists to do a mental eval. Yeah. And as reporters continued to dig into Corona's personal life, more of his background was uncovered. It was confirmed that he was a labor contractor who pulled in about 20000 a year, which is 127800 in 2020. Oh, I can see why Jordan's not here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> see, he's a... Labor contractor. He's fucking. In 1971? He doesn't need. Well, he dresses like a 70s dad, so it makes perfect sense to me why. And he's a solid family man. Juan was considered a solid family man. He never missed church, never showed any sign of abuse to his wife or daughters. His mostly Mexican workforce's only complaint that he didn't pay them very well. The ranchers who hired his workers, on the other hand, loved him. They knew if it was a Juan Corona crew, the job would get done fast and right. So he's kind of like BTK-ish. Mm, then. Just like keeps that in the community with a solid and Gacy too. Mm, oh, right, yeah. right, right. Maybe a little more on the Gacy side yeah. than the BTK side. Yeah, because he buries them. Homosexual. Yeah. Do you think Gacy was gay or a pedophile? I mean, weren't they all boys? Yeah, but they were like, I think a lot of them were pre-pubescent boys, okay. right? Okay, think- so yeah. I think the very first one he killed was like a, a teenage boy or something. 
I don't know. That's interesting. Hmm. Actually, now that you mention it, I almost think he was maybe a gay man. Maybe. I don't know. Claus- we'll, we'll severely co- closeted. We'll cover him We're going to have to do Gacy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a little loop-de-loop, the defense psychiatrist declared him sane and responsible for his actions, while a psychiatrist for the prosecution found him insane and unfit to stand trial. For the, but that's crazy for the prosecution. <laughs> that know. is crazy for the prosecution. They're always in cahoots, yeah. basically saying before they go into the courtroom that, like, how do you want me to play this? Yeah. I hate to say that, but it's kind of true. Never heard that before. Prosecute Like, he could literally be... I don't know, in another planet, and he'd be like, he's perfectly sane. He knew what he was doing. Fully responsible. Maybe this guy just didn't want to charge him. I don't know. (laughs) Could be. Corona spent his pretrial days doped up on Thorazine for his anxiety and taking painting lessons. There are reports that he suffered two heart attacks brought on by stress during this ordeal. A month into his incarceration, a high-profile defense attorney named Richard Hawk blew into Yuba City to take over the case pro bono and immediately fired the psychiatrist, dismissed their findings, and filed a lawsuit against Sutter County for mishandling of evidence, violating Corona's rights, slander, and causing emotional distress. Jesus, Richard Hawk, what the hell are you doing? Dick Hawk. I guess. Is, it Rich- is this uh, Ethan's dad or what? What? <laughs> <laughs> The most, if you were to select like generic character, a generic white character, it'd be Ethan Hawke. Yeah, he's so unremarkable. Yeah, any any video game on the planet, they should literally just make a character model based off Ethan Hawke. Just call it Hawke. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the generic create a character is Hawke. <laughs> the main issue which won the lawsuit for the defense was that detectives allowed journalists to see evidence which violated the gag order that was imposed on the case. As far as the murder book ledger was concerned, yes, seven of the victims were written in it, but that certainly doesn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he murdered them. Hmm. On top of that, handwriting experts couldn't conclusively say that it was Corona's handwriting in it. The blood evidence that was found on the knives and the machete recovered turned out to be nothing more than rust or red paint. The defense was able to explain the blood found in his van as one of his workers hurt himself on the job and Juan nobly transported him to the hospital. Where, why is he painting his machete red? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Or leaving it out in the rain to get rusty. <laughs> I get, oh, I mean, that happens, but it's like, it, I don't know. That's so weird. So fucking weird. It could be in an attempt to cover up the blood somehow. Like, yeah, yeah, I could. I didn't know rust existed in California, to be honest with you. <laughs> it was just a Midwest thing. All their cars are so... You should... If you're going to buy a car in the Midwest, make sure it comes from down south somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny when you talk to people, but like, you got to make sure your car is clean throughout the winter. Otherwise, it's going to turn into fucking rusty from cars. What's his name? Tater. Tater from cars. Tater. Yes, yes. You're going to look like no, that guy. No, Tomater. Tomater. Tater is Ron White's joke. Tater salad. <laughs> All right, tomato. Or to whatever is fucking. Goddamn Larry the Cable Guy. People the- from the South do think it's ridiculous, and they're like, what do you mean you're getting a car wash when it's zero <laughs> degrees? Like, I have to, gotta- otherwise it'll eat through my fucking floorboards. Yeah, yeah, you gotta, man. Your car will fall apart. There was no conclusive link between his machete and the wounds on any of the victim's heads, although doctors brought in by the prosecution believe... With the rate of decomposition, the slashes across the skull and faces of the victims had to be done with either a machete or a large meat cleaver. I mean, the heads leave a pretty 
prominent cut. Like if like you're that's a big blade. Exactly. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. leaving wide gashes. Mm-hmm. Also, the tire tracks, the one piece of hard evidence that deputies actually collected from the first grave where Kenneth was found, didn't match any of Corona's vehicles. He also had an alibi. When many of the victims were attacked and killed, based on the prosecution's timeline, Juan Corona was hobbling around on crutches with a broken foot. Dick Hawk, star defense attorney, succeeded in getting the trial delayed by a year, and the venue changed out of Sutter County as the entire population was already inflamed over the case. Yeah, that'll uh, that'll ruin it. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) He also sowed good relationships with the media to make him and his clients seem sympathetic, resulting in several articles coming out hinting that someone was dropping the meat receipts in the graves to frame this hardworking immigrant. I mean, that happens all the time. So fucking ridiculous. Ridiculous that any journalist worth anything would ever print something like that. I mean, every time I go to, say, Van Hansen's meet, mm-hmm. I take my receipt, make sure I put it in a dead body, mm-hmm. just for safekeeping, yeah. so I can get it. So I always remember where it is later If there's on. no cemeteries around, mm-hmm. I, I Craigslist, I look, who's murdering these days? <laughs> I gotta find a grave to put I, this yeah, receipt in. I go visit The Undertaker, and I slip him a 20, but can you just put this... In his pocket here. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure I know where it is. Mm-hmm. Stuff, Gerald, stuff him in there. <laughs> Gerald Montgomery, who died last week. I'll know exactly where my meat receipt is. I'm going to have to write this off on my taxes, <laughs> and i got to know where my receipts are. Yeah. The trial began on September 11th, 1972. Never forget. At the Solano <laughs> County Courthouse in Fairfield, California, about an hour away from Yuba City. Jury selection would take three weeks alone. And the trial would take three months. District Attorney Teja headed up the prosecution, and he was excited to try a first-degree murder case. To be honest, he really shit the bed on this thing. And in the middle of his two-day opening statement, the judge interrupted to ask if he was purposely wasting the court's time or if this was an accident. Jesus. Oof. That's not good. I mean, he already claimed that he was insane. Right? That was him? Mm Mm-hmm. That's not... Not great. And Mm -hmm. now the judge is like, are you an idiot, basically? Are you wasting everyone's time? (sighs) Not a good look, Mr. Uh, Teja. Teja's strategy was to call in a never-ending line of witnesses to the stand, which would end up being 130, and use new technology involving blinking light bulbs and a map of the grave sites that would illuminate based on what victim they were talking about. Well, that's kind of fun. Feels like a game show on Double Dare. Certainly. No <laughs> whammy, no whammy. <laughs> you got to point. You got to smash the light where the body is, kids. <laughs> I love that message we got on Instagram where they were asking you about the legends of the hidden oh temple. Oh my pedophile. gosh! I need to clear that up now. <laughs> Kirk Fogg, host of Legends of the Hidden Temple, never touched <laughs> any kid on that show. Ever. He is not a pedophile. He is a good man. I am sorry for besmirching your good name. I did learn some things while I was looking that up about it was pretty rigged. Only 12 people ever won. Really? Yeah. Only 12 teams ever won because there was a budget for prizes and they had to stick to that budget. I mean, it makes sense. Kids are the easiest to dupe there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) During pre-trial, the prosecution spent so much time and effort making sure their light show worked. (laughs) They didn't hand over necessary reports and evidence to the defense. After the second time the prosecution brought up evidence that the defense had no time to go over, the judge furiously roared for Teja to bring every single document they had to the courthouse to be made available to the defense in front of the judge. Wow. Okay. That sounds like, um, what do they call that? Uh, 
prosecutorial misconduct, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Didn't you get like the whole case wiped out? For oh that? yes. Not to mention that everything's under scrutiny for evidence misconduct, as far as fucking police mishandling evidence, and now the prosecution's mishandling the case. What are you thinking? <laughs> I think Teja's a little out of his britches for this. Oh one. yeah, this little green son of a bitch shouldn't he, be. If they would have hired Harvey Dent, they wouldn't have had any of these problems. And then they'd say. Eh, eh, eh. You're Gotham's DA. If you're not getting (laughs) shot at, you're not doing your job right. (laughs) Oh, I hate you, Maggie Gyllenhaal. That I will defame. I rewatched the original, uh, what's Tim Burton Batman, Mm. Landau, or Lando, what's his name? Michael Lando? No, 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 the guy who plays Lando in Star Wars. Oh! Whatever his name is, he's the Harvey Dent in that one? Yes, yeah. He's kind of he's kind of classy. I like him. Yeah, well. definitely. Yeah. Not uh, all I ever think of is Carl Weathers, but it's not <laughs> Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers played Apollo Creed. <laughs> Remember how the tire tracks didn't match any of Corona's vehicles? Hmm. That's because detectives actually mixed the evidence up with another case and didn't realize it until that case went to trial. Once the mix-up was realized, the proper tracks were sent out for FBI testing, and the results came back as extremely likely matched to Corona's blue and white striped truck. This is why the police need to hire someone like Austin, who his whole life's oh. based around tire sizes. Oh, he'd be like, that's nail- a 2436 yeah. Dodge. He'd be like, that's a Tiger Paul Thunder 4 Mach 7 mm. tire there. 248 2536 that's what that is there. They MSRP at $390 per See, set. Honestly, that'd be a great job for him. Honestly. Honestly. It would it would help mm. both mm. things. His his laser-like <laughs> focus, which is something else that I don't want to say. In the early weeks of the trial, it seemed as if the still wet behind the ears DA was going to bungle this slam dunk of a case. They had a year to get their evidence testing done. And in the opening stages of the trial, they were still begging the judge for more time for results to come in. Is what what is wet behind the ears? I've never heard that before. Never? No. When a baby comes out, they're wet behind the ears, right? Okay, so little Ollie, when he's shooting out of there like a rocket. Wet behind the ears. Wet behind the ears. Okay, interesting. Dick Hawk, on the other hand, was having a field day. His strategy was to convince the jury that someone was attempting to frame Juan Corona by putting his name all over the graves. Perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. He argued that nobody would be so stupid as to put receipts and bank slips in multiple graves. As dig team workers and police officers continued to take the stand, they admitted there was a lot of confusion during the excavation process. There were so many bodies, the diggers started assigning them numbers, while at the same time the police were officially numbering them, resulting in some bodies getting more than one number. Okay, this isn't the Culver's drive-thru. Here. God, I know. Just hang <laughs> hang this number from your... St- <laughs> like, if they bring me the wrong food, I'd be mm. furious. Like, well, I you would, get, too. You made me hang this fucking number up. <laughs> know what I'm getting. Uh, now they put them on your mirror. Oh. So you don't have to touch anything. Perfect. You don't have to touch anything. The prosecution argued desperately that the numbering system was the only cause of confusion. It had nothing to do with the intentional mishandling of evidence. This whole ordeal escalated into a heated argument between the lawyers that got so bad, the judge was forced to slam his gavel and ask if either lawyer had a point they intended to get to. This trial would continually get hung up in the weeds over little things like corpses being assigned numbers. Things that do not matter, which is Hawk's ultimate goal. Yeah, yeah. 
The next discrepancy the defense pounced all over involved a bag of fingertips collected from all 25 victims to make identifying easier. This bag was mislabeled at least three times in between the crime scene and the police department, and once again, the judge was apoplectic. For some reason, I was um, envisioning the bodies were, like, almost completely decomposed, but they're, like... Varying of... degrees. Okay. Some so of them are... still get fingerprints. Fingertip. Yeah, that's why mm. they took all the fingertips, yep. Interesting. Two more items recovered from the last grave were a candle and broken candlestick that resembled one from Corona's office. The prosecution put forward that this was part of some spiritual or religious ritual, possibly the same one that made him bury the victims on the north side of trees with their arms up. Hawk smartly pointed out that it could have been planted, otherwise why would only the last grave be chock full of ritual evidence, right? I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Why? It, so it was only in one grave, huh? Just, like, this last grave is where they found those signed bank receipts and where they found this candle, and it, it, it's like... From the outside looking in, if you're a smart defense attorney like Dick Hawk seems to be, you'd be, you'd say, well, are the police manipulating evidence so that they can, are they, are they moving evidence, assigning evidence from one grave to other graves in order to make this look worse than it is or able to tell any story that they want to? Gotcha. I guess you throw a couple candles and a dead body, instantly you got a satanic ritual, right? Right. Especially in the 70s. Mm. And there's gay people involved. I mean, fuck. What a what a what a what a shitstorm. What if one just got like I don't know a pumpkin spice candle and he decided it stinked, threw it in there? I would too. <laughs> any any of those uh, spice candles, I they end up smelling so bad. Dude, we we were watching John Oliver, uh, and they had the news collection of news reports where they're starting to talk about pumpkin spice lattes. It was so funny. Here we go. We're, getting, <laughs> we're, we're right in the season, ladies. Here tis we the season. Go. I'll, I'm a. I'll be a basic white bitch too. Yeah, I'll try so. one. I'll try one pumpkin spice latte. I've never had one, but I am headlong into a caribou addiction. Maybe on air, you and I will have to have some PSLs. Let's do it. Some PSLs. Do you know what right? I like the most right now? I'm digging on iced matcha tea lattes. I have not had one. This sounds good though. Ice green tea latte. It's so mm, good. Hmm. Hawk was outmaneuvering the prosecution at every turn. He even had officials admitting to mistakes they made, including police leaving their own fingerprints on evidence yet to be dusted. There was no doubt that the investigation and handling of bodies had been sloppy, and required reports were either inaccurate or non-existent. To some extent, given the conditions and the speed at which the bodies were found, it was understandable that some mistakes were made. On top of that, no one in Sutter or neighboring Yuba County had ever dealt with a case of this magnitude. These local yokels were used to, at worst, fishing the occasional body out of the Feather River, so a multi-day, multi-department, public three-ring circus with full media coverage caused a lot of investigators to crack and make mistakes under pressure. Is that true, though? Because you had Ed Kemper already? You had, what's his name? Did you? When did Kemper take place? Uh, he got caught in 72. This is 71. I was 70, or maybe it was 71. I don't remember. He's right in there. And then uh, the mass murderer who just uh, last podcast just covered the schizophrenic guy. And he oh. thought he had to save the world by uh -huh. killing all of those people. Uh -huh. He got caught before Ed. I mean, yeah, maybe they don't. Really? This is like leading right into the big hump of serial killers. Yes. It's like that perfect timeline. Yep. So. And this is John Douglas was getting his getting mm. his groove on around mm. this time. Mm hmm. 
The case was full of holes, and Corona remained stoic and silent during the court proceedings, showing the court full respect, giving wry sad smiles to his attorney when he looked his way, and receiving full support from his wife, four daughters, and sister who had come all the way up to be with her brother during this time. The prosecution was still unable to prove that Corona was a homosexual, and their original charges rested on the idea that gay prostitution was somehow involved. So clearly they didn't just put up a poster of Jason Momoa. And get and, and see if he and, got a boner? Yeah, just feel, feel his pants. <laughs> I mean, well, maybe that's not fair, because that, that man will make even straight men question Turgid. their sexuality. Yeah. He yeah. makes me harder than a rock. <laughs> Hawk took this opportunity to prattle on about a scientific study he saw about when bodies are buried with their arms above their heads and their pants down, they are considered the male role in a sexual encounter, which would make the killer the catcher. Hawk claimed that the study claimed that after an encounter, the killer would snap into a homicidal rage and kill his sexual partner. Hawk then said he would get the author of the study in to discuss it in better detail, but it never came to that, and a reporter after the fact said he read it in a detective novel. You know what is is weird that he says this here? I almost think there is a... Psychologically, this is a thing where so he had a homosexual encounter, gay encounter, whatever, and then after it's over, then he's angry at the man for having sex with him. Yeah, who fucked him? Then kills him. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Is he is he confirmed to be like schizophrenic? Yes, 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 yes. yes. Very confirmed. Mm -hmm, Okay, mm -hmm. interesting. But it uh, and that makes me wonder. Is he acting out abuse from his childhood? Like mm. when he and he wishes he could have killed the man that fucked him? It could be. It was his dad, right? It had to be. Uh, hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I I mean, it's I feel like during the 70s and I, I don't know where straight males, but it seemed like there's a very big it's very wrong to be gay. Mm hmm. So maybe it was, uh, and I would assume growing up in Mexico during that time, probably is really not accepted. Yeah, they don't, like, just the Mexican immigrants mm. I've been around, mm. they don't play that way. No. They don't even play, like, the gay yeah. way. So maybe it was uh, child abuse, mental illness, and then just the culture at the time, I guess, where mm-hmm. they didn't accept homosexual people, which is unfortunate. Very. Mm-hmm. As the case moved along, the public and jury members alike grew bored and just plain confused. Predictions in the press were unanimous that the jury would find in favor of the defense, but there were still some surprises left in store. One witness came forward and claimed he saw three of the confirmed victims get into Corona's truck, but his credibility was soon called into question after Hawk Hawk cross-examined him. He was able to verbal jujitsu the uneducated witness into being unsure of even what he had for breakfast, let alone seeing three murder victims get into a pickup. Mm, you know what I'm thinking about, Mr. Hawk? Okay, you remember Bruce Lee, mm-hmm. and then you have the IP man. Ip Man, yeah. What if Hawk is Ip Man for Jose Baez? Oh my, he laid the groundwork <laughs> yeah. for, for international best-selling author Jose <laughs> Baez. Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, I, I mean, could he- see it. He's using a lot of the tactics, right? Everything is, mm. and everything that happens, you can trace a lineage back through it if they're successful. So mm. I don't see why I don't see why you couldn't make that case. Maybe he trained Jose Baez and Johnny Cochran. Oh, oh, oh double whammy! Oh, I love Johnny Cochran. And his so failed much. apprentice was 
uh, whoever Jody Aries' uh, lawyer was. Yeah, we don't remember <laughs> no, because uh, he's not he good. Up. Yes. <laughs> blood expert Ruth Guy testified that blood stains in Corona's van came up with three different blood types. So even if he did take one of his workers to the hospital, it wouldn't explain the other two. Prosecution seemed to rally on this testimony. And by November, a third prosecutor, Ronald Fahey, was brought in to assist Teha, who had up to this point completely bumbled this case. Fahey had a wealth of trial experience, and he used it primarily to discredit Richard Hawk. Ronald and Hawk would squabble so intensely and so frequently that the already pissed off and over-the-trial judge had to break it up. Like a Katamari, the case just got more cluttered and convoluted, with neither side gaining a clear advantage. The press was basically just reporting on the mudslinging between the lawyers, as no one could follow what the fuck was happening in the courtroom. Mm. Finally, both sides summarized their cases in closing arguments, and after 46 hours of deliberation, Juan Corona was found guilty of all 25 murders and sentenced to 25 life sentences, as California had repealed the death penalty at the time, which okay. we were also just talking about. Yeah, yeah, that, there's like a little sweet spot in there. Mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting. So... I wonder if if it was forty six hours of deliberation. There had. Do you think there were some people who were like, "Did he actually do it?" The or initial think... the initial vote was seven to five, not guilty. Really? Yep. That was the first vote from the jury. I mean, from what you've said, it's kind of we're pretty sure he did it, but it's kind of like he did it. Iffy, he you did. know. Yeah. Dick Hawk just did so... So good? Not even good. He just mired the shit down and confused the hell out of everybody. The yeah. public, the jury, like trial experts had... They were like, what What am I watching? <laughs> so basically he did the uh, Southern Rooster lawyer strategy. The the Foghorn Leghorn? No, uh, is that from uh, Futurama? Remember that Yes, chicken? yes, 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 yes. At first, I thought you were talking about uh, Rooster Cogburn's lawyer in True Grit. <laughs> or, or. Remember when that Southern guy's trying to, like, get him? I don't know. You should uh, watch True I Grit. Don't, I have watched it. The only thing I remember is the he killed the horse. <sighs> Riding it too long. Yeah, yeah. Poor horsey. Yeah. But all this wasn't over. Juan Corona still had his appeals. At the end of his first year in prison, he was gang-stabbed 32 times by four inmates. He lost an eye in the attack and almost lost his life, but somehow recovered. You know what? Have you ever seen the movie Maniac Cop? No. <laughs> no. That's damn near the origin story of Maniac Cop. The they cop gets a... stabbed like 34 times and in the eye, too, I think. Somehow he doesn't die. So did they just rip off RoboCop and make Maniac Cop? Uh, he's like a zombie cop who got betrayed by other cops. And then he gets shanked in prison. Then he comes back to kill cops. Huh. It's interesting. It's got Bruce Campbell. Oh. Interesting. Oh, I'll watch it. Yeah. Huh? It's pretty good. Five years later, the state of California decided Richard Hawk had not competently represented his client. And in February 1982, Corona was back in court with a whole new trial that would last seven months. However, this time, after 54 hours, his sentence was reaffirmed. Interviewed after the fact, the foreman of the jury said the ledger was the piece of evidence that signed his fate. Two juries were convinced, despite official mismanagement, that Juan Corona and no others were guilty of killing these 25 men. He was denied parole eight times throughout his life and died on March 4th, 2019, aged 85 of natural causes. 
He lived a long fucking time. Yes, Holy he shit. did. And the monster's dead now. Damn, 25 people, though. Like, that is a lot of people for somebody you don't hear that often. So angry. That is, yeah, absolutely. I. It'd be so fascinating to hear, like, uh, if they had, like, a real psychiatrist to, like, figure out if he actually, like, had two personalities mm. type thing where mm. he just... He was gay, but didn't want to be a gay man, I guess. I don't know. That's crazy. That is crazy. He's a scary bastard. Oh, yes. Yes. So he just, he basically just lured these people into his truck. Once you got in his truck, you were dead. Yep. And he was a trusted man in the community. So it's not like, even though these were migrant workers, they still knew of him. He was still a contractor that they would work for sometimes, you know. So are they pretty certain that they would almost always perform some sort of sexual yeah. act yep. before the murder. Mm-hmm. So after the sexual act was like his trigger, mm-hmm. that's when he went off. Just like Dick Hawk said, but... Hmm. Interesting. It's, it's funny you can call Dick Hawk incompetent because he seemed like a pretty good lawyer at first, right? He did a few things like during the during the first trial, he offered he offered an author like full full access to the case. So he was sitting like right behind him while the trial was going on and he was feeding him confidential information to put in his book. I mean, it was still legal at that point. Mm-hmm. <coughs> he was just seen as incompetent and uh, mm. uh, a bit of a blowhard idiot. And clearly he just wanted to make money. Definitely. Oh yeah. my gosh. Just like all these fucking charlatan <laughs> fucks. Maybe this is why he, I Jose Baez is his Bruce Lee. It has to be. I be. could see it. I Ip could man, see it. Ip Man mm-hmm. Dick Hawk. I've never watched that movie, but for some reason they keep making 50 of them. You should watch at least the first one. That's a it's solid good? movie. Yeah, definitely. I think they put on like the, the Netflix coming soon. It was literally like IP Man 17 or something. <laughs> like, Does this man not? Is he like immortal? Does he not die? Like what's going on Ip here? Man. I guess so. <laughs> All right. Well, if you are the Ip Man, you can tell me about it at BumblebuttPodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? BumblebuttPodcast at gmail.com. As always, follow us on Twitter at BumblebuttPod, Facebook and Instagram at BumblebuttPodcast. Uh, now it's time for the most important part of the show. Uh, to me, it's Spotify thumbs up. Hell yes. But well, to Cody. Follow. Follow. Oh, yeah. Spotify follow. There's Spotify no, follow. You, you, you must be on Facebook too much or something. <sighs> I don't have a Facebook, but I, I, <laughs> I don't know what all the kids are thumbs up well, and up voting these days. I, okay. I think thumbs up's only Facebook, I think, right? Okay. Because, uh, what's Reddit's plus? Upvote. Is it upvote? Yeah. And Instagram's hearts. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Twitter, I don't know what's Twitter. Uh, hearts too. Is it hearts yeah. too? I think it's just Facebook. All right. Well, think give you... us a follow on Spotify. Right there. And if you want to impress Cody and actually impress me too, you can leave an iTunes review. Hell yeah, we got two more five stars. Hell yeah, one written, one non-written. So thank you very much. We. <laughs> Is that your wet vagina right now? Yes, whistling. <laughs> uh, the first one is much fun, exclamation mark. Love it. From uh, Bagathrom. Bagathrom. Hell yes, I guess you're de- the defender of the kingdom. I hope so. <laughs> I was recently made aware of this show and excited that I have so much catching up to do. I love Cody and Adam's casual, easy humor, 
While I binge, y'all are helping me through boring stretches of my work week. Oh, that's why I started the show, was to help people get through fucking work. You know, when people send us DMs or whatever saying, thank you for helping my work week, nothing means more to me. Yeah. Work sucks. It's the worst. Anything that can help people, like, forget that they're working... If you can tra- if you can time travel your way back to your couch and we are the facilitators of that, that's all I ever want to be. Hell get yeah. you through those fucking terrible zombie-minded days at work and get you right back where you want to be at your house. You know what re- that reminded me of something really cringy. Um so on Gamescom they had Doc from Back to the Future announcing a new game. They had Christopher Lloyd doing it? Yeah. He's Old dressed up as Doc, and it's just... Ugh, stop it. Stop it. Come on. What? What are they, Is it a new Back to the Future game? No. It okay. was something completely different. Okay. I don't even know. I don't remember what it was. Something stupid. Are they, like, trying to get... Remember when Keanu announced Cyberpunk? What, like, 17 years ago? Yeah. How many fucking delays that thing oh, has? Oh, my God. And I hope it's as good. I hope it's good. I hope I it's, hope worth it's the good, wait. too. You know, game I saw looks awesome. Is this, like, Walking Nightmares? Something like that. Walking Nightmares 2 or something? You play, like, these two creepy little kids. And there's, like, creepy dolls chasing you and stuff like that. It looks really fun. Oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> Once again, you're <laughs> okay, trying to it's spook not, me. Not for Adam, but... If you like scary games, be for you. Why do you always want to scare me? <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Cody. Thank I've been you. Cody. That's been Cody. Thank you, Cody, and thank you, Adam. That's right. Thank you, Adam. And we will catch you on Wednesday for another brand new Patreon edition of Between the Bumbles. And we will catch you next Sunday for another episode of the Bumble Butt Podcast. So until then, have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. Hey. Get the bowling for Satan level. You don't want to miss out on these prints. Oh, my God. I forgot about the Patreon. Go to <laughs> patreon.com slash podcast. Do it now. You are not going to want to miss out. No. Cody will great. put it on the Instagram once they get mailed out. Mm-hmm. And you will want to sign up to get your edition of this very perfect print. <laughs> so get on it. We'll Hell see yeah. you there. <laughs>